listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit stonegate.church. So today we are starting a set of sermons called Summer Psalms. And this is a kind of normal rhythm for us as a church family. Every summer we set aside four to six weeks to linger over and to spend time in the Psalms. Now the question is, why would we do that? Why would we prioritize four to six weeks out of every year to spend in this particular section of the Bible? Why the Psalms? Let me ask it in maybe a more formal way. What role have the Psalms played in the history of God's people? That's a great question to know about the Psalms. What what has the Lord used the Psalms to do in his people over church history? Well, here's one answer to that question. The Psalms are the primary tool God uses to teach his people how to pray. The the Psalms are there to teach you and, and to teach me how to pray. So just think about your own life. Do you want to grow in your prayer life? I've just never met a person pursuing Jesus that doesn't answer yes to that. Yes, I want to grow in my prayer life. Well, the Lord has given you 150 psalms to help you do that very thing, to grow in a deeper, more intimate, and more honest life of prayer. Uh, Listen to Eugene Peterson in his book, Answering God. It's a book uh, that he's written over the psalms. Listen to him address this. This is the way he says it. He says, the consensus on this throughout the church's praying life is impressive. If we wish to develop in the life of faith, so if you want to develop in the life of faith, if you want to develop maturity and to glorify God with our entire heart, mind, soul, and strength, then the Psalms are necessary. We cannot bypass the Psalms. If we want to do those things, we cannot take a shortcut around the Psalms. He goes on to say, they are God's gifts to train us in prayer that is comprehensive and honest. If you want a prayer life that is comprehensive and honest, the Psalms are necessary. He goes on, if we are willfully ignorant of the Psalms, we are not thereby excluded from praying, but we will have to hack our way through formidable country by trial and error with inferior tools. He's saying, you can still learn how to pray without the Psalms, but it is going to be a tough road that you are kind of hewing out through the jungle to learn how to do that. So how do the Psalms teach us how to pray? Like, like how have people in church history used the Psalms to learn how to pray? He goes on to tell us. He says, the practice of Christians in praying the Psalms is straightforward. Simply pray through the Psalms, Psalm by Psalm, on a regular basis. That's it. Open our Bibles to the book of Psalms and pray them sequentially, regularly, faithfully across a lifetime. This is how most Christians for most of the Christian centuries have matured in prayer. He says, nothing fancy. Just do that, and you're going to learn how to develop a more comprehensive and honest life of prayer. So before we do anything else this summer as we're thinking about the Psalms and lingering in particular Psalms, let's just receive that encouragement from the Lord. If we want to grow in our prayer life, let's do it the way that Christians for the, for the centuries that they've come before us have grown in their life of prayer. Uh, maybe you could think about the Psalms like this. The Psalms have been given to us. So, so God has graciously given us 150 Psalms. The Psalms have been given to us so that we could then give the Psalms back to God in prayer. That, that's why there's 150 of them. 
so that you can have 150 prayers to give back to God in the Psalms. So in the month of July, I just want to encourage you, let's receive the Psalms. Let's open up the Bible every day, read a Psalm or two, let's ponder that Psalm, and then let's give that Psalm back to the Lord in prayer. Let's just, let's just allow the Psalms to form us into a person of prayer, a deeper prayer, more intimate prayer, a more honest prayer in our life. Let's allow the Lord to do that in the month of July. Okay, with that said, we are to Psalm 23. This is the Psalm we're going to linger over uh, today. Uh, Charles Spurgeon once called this Psalm, Psalm 23, the pearl of the Psalms. It has a precious place in the midst of 150 psalms. Psalm 23 is probably the single most widely known and loved chapter in the whole Bible. I mean, just think about that. Of all the chapters in the Bible, Psalm 23 is likely the chapter that is most loved, most quoted in all the rest of the scriptures. Um, you could think about uh, Psalm 23 as the John 6, uh, 316 of the Old Testament. It is that well-known, quoted, thought about. It's the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. Now, one of the reasons this particular psalm is so, so popular is because it shows up in life's darkest seasons. Psalm 23, and rightfully so, is read at virtually every funeral I ever go to where a Christian is being buried. Psalm 23 is thought about and considered and read, and, and rightfully so. But I, I want to just start out by saying this about Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is first a psalm for living, not dying. I mean, we just need to receive this. Psalm 23 is first and foremost a song to help you live well for the Lord. Not just die well for the Lord. It's a psalm for living, not just dying. So yes, it's applicable and helpful and comforting in the worst seasons of our life. In the worst seasons, by all means, turn to Psalm 23 for comfort. But it's equally applicable and helpful and comforting in every season of our life. There's not a day that you're going to live where you turning to Psalm 23 and lingering over these six verses would not be a balm for your soul. So these six verses, Psalm 23, if I had to summarize the point of, of this psalm in a single sentence, it would be to say it like this. Uh, these six verses is God looking at you, staring at you, looking at you in the eye and saying to you, I care for you. I care for you. Th that's what this psalm is saying. I care for you. Now, in many ways, this is the question of our life. Every one of us wake up every day, and on some level, we're asking the question, is there someone, anyone out there who really does care for me? Am I on my own in life? Is it just, is it just sort of left up to me, or is there someone out there who's with me, who, who cares for me, who is walking beside me? This is really the only two ways that you, you can live. There's only two ways. It's either there is someone that uh, up and under uh, their protective care or you are all alone. Those are the only two ways to live. And in this particular psalm, God is looking at you and I in the eye every time we read it and he's saying this to us, I care for you. God is saying, I am with you. I will tend to you. I am concerned about you. I will hold you. I will carry you. I will nurture you. I will support you. 
That's what this psalm is saying. And friends, we all need to be reconvinced daily that God is saying that to us. You need to be reconvinced daily. I need to be reconvinced daily of God's personal and particular care for us. I have never met a person ever who has felt too cared for and loved by God. I've never met that person. But I have met plenty of people who wake up asking that question every day. Does God really care for me? Is God really with me? And Psalm 23 is God's definitive answer to that question. I am. I am. So I want to take this psalm in two parts, these six verses in two parts. Uh, These six verses show us two things about God, uh, two things about God. They show that God is the good shepherd and that God is a generous host, a good shepherd and a generous host. So let's take the first, the good shepherd. Uh, These six verses show us that God is the good shepherd. Start in verse one with me. We're just gonna follow along. We're just gonna read through this together. So if you have a Bible, it'd be really helpful to have it out and open on your lap. Psalm 23, verse one starts with these two words, the Lord. Now that is the personal name of God. That is, uh, that is referring to him as the creator of the universe, as the one that spoke the world into existence, as the one who breathed life into dust and created our first parents, the one who has always been and who will always be. It's referring to that God. It says the Lord. And then it's followed by these three words. The Lord is my shepherd. Now that's amazing. The Lord is is my shepherd. This is God clarifying what God promises to be for his people. Let me say that one more time. When you read the first phrase of Psalm 23, this is God clarifying what God promises to be for all of his people. He's not a disinterested dad who doesn't care. He's saying, no, that is, that is not me. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. And as the shepherd, God promises to comprehensively care for his sheep. That's what Psalm 23 is trying to convince us of. That as the shepherd, God promises to comprehensively care for his sheep. But look at that one little word there. Right before the word shepherd, he says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, it's interesting, 17 times in these six verses, David uses the personal pronoun. So it's I, it's me, it's my, 17 times in this psalm. Now, what does that teach us? It teaches us that as the shepherd, God promises to comprehensively care for me, for me. for for you, not not the whole flock out there, that is true, but but in this psalm, it is is zero, it's it's whittled down and it funnels down all the way to a person. It's the Lord is gonna be your shepherd, the Lord is gonna be my shepherd, that he promises to comprehensively care for you. The, The Lord is my shepherd. Now, this first phrase in Psalm 23 really gets us to the heart of the purpose of this psalm. The reason that David is writing this psalm, David wants you to experience God like this, like a caring shepherd. Is that, is that how you think about God? It, it, when, you, when you imagine God and you're putting words around God, is this, is this the way that you see God, like a caring shepherd? And this psalm is, 
it has kind of embedded within it that invitation to come and enjoy this God who promises to be not just a good shepherd to the flock, but no, to be a good shepherd to you, to come and enjoy that God. Now, that also welcomes us in, or walks us into the danger of this psalm. It is possible to know the truth of this psalm, that God is a shepherd. It's possible to know the truth of this psalm without knowing the shepherd it's talking about. Isn't that scary? That it's possible to know the truth without knowing in a personal, intimate, deep way the shepherd. So before we move on, I just want to look at you and ask you the question. Do you know the shepherd? Do you know the shepherd? Have you come under his care and protection and provision? Are you, are you experiencing God right now as your shepherd? Are you walking with the Lord right now as your shepherd, trusting him in the very places where it counts right now in, in your life to care for you? Are you walking with God as your shepherd? That, that's the invitation to know God and to walk with this God who promises comprehensive care in your life. Now, everything else in this psalm is describing how God comprehensively cares for you. So let's read along. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. And then here's the next phrase. I shall not want. That's amazing. I, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. Here's the, the implication. I shall not want. Now that might better be translated uh, just to get the sense of it is, is I shall not lack. That's the idea. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. Now when I read that, I instantly have some pushback when I read that, that phrase. Uh, mainly because it just doesn't seem to be rooted in reality. I mean, think about your last month. I, I don't have to know you very well to know you have likely had some difficult days over the last month. And part of what makes a difficult day a difficult day is you're experiencing on some level lack. So uh, when we experience and walk through the death of a loved one, we lack the presence of the one that we love. Um, when we get sick, we lack the good health that we previously enjoyed. So on some level, suffering, what makes suffering suffering is it's defined by a lack in some area of our life. Uh, when I think about suffering in the scriptures, I can't help but think about Job. Um, Job just experienced gut-wrenching suffering in his life. And in Job chapter 1, verse 21, Job says, The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Job is lacking things in, in Job chapter 1. He's lacking his family. His kids have all died. He's lacking his health. He's lacking his possessions. They're all gone in Job chapter 1. He's experiencing lack. But here is the beautiful truth in our suffering that Psalm 23 gives us. It teaches us. Even when the Lord takes away, the Lord never stops giving. That's what Psalm 23 is showing us. That even when the Lord takes away, the Lord never stops giving. This is David writing this. And if you know anything about the life of David, you know that David suffered. His life was one of ongoing suffering in, in many different ways. David constantly and ongoingly felt and experienced the loss of things in his life. But as he's experiencing the loss of things in his life, the Lord is so pouring his love and provision into the heart of David that David can write this psalm and say, 
I shall not want. Is that not amazing? That, that even in the midst of losses, even in the midst of our lack, God is so filling our hearts that this psalm is true. That we can say along with David, I shall not want. I, our shepherd, he promises here to us to never stop giving us, to, to never stop pouring grace and mercy into our life. And because God never stops giving, we can say along with the psalm that we never lack. Isn't that amazing? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He goes on in verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. This is one of my favorite lines in this psalm. It's God, our good shepherd, saying to us, I will care for you in such a comprehensive way that you can sleep, that, that you can be at rest. I, I, my care for you will be so comprehensive that, that you can actually rest and, and take a nap. Uh, Philip Keller, he is a pastor and an author, and he actually spent eight years as a shepherd. And he, then he went on to write a book on the 23rd Psalm uh, called A Shepherd's Look at the 23rd Psalm, just relating it to all the, the imagery that he learned as he was a shepherd. And one of the things he went on to write in that book is he said, it is almost impossible for sheep to lie down unless certain requirements are met. And then he went on to spell out what those requirements are. And I'll just paraphrase them. He says, to sleep, sheep have to be free from these four things. They have to be free from fear, they have to be free from friction, like infighting among other sheep in the flock. They have to be free from flies, and they have to be free from famine. In other words, they have to be, they have to be full. So a shepherd, if he's going to tend to his sheep and allow them to rest, has to remove all of those obstacles. He has to make sure those things are, are out of the sheep's life. Now, in the same way, our good shepherd comes to us and says, this is what David is saying in verse two. Our, our good shepherd comes to us and he looks at us in the eye and he's reminding us here, I am at work in your life right now. I'm working, I'm active in your life. And I am so active that my work is so deep in your life that I can make rest possible for you. And not just closing of your eyes, but, but the deep rest of your soul. I can make that rest possible. He's saying, my care for you is so robust that you can, you can lay your head down at night, close your eyes, and sleep knowing that I am awake and I am working. That's what David is showing us here. If you want it in a picture, verse 2 in a picture, think about the moment that a dad walks into the room of a six-year-old little boy at bedtime. You see that imagery? Think about that imagery. And he bends down beside his son's bed and he speaks words of life into his son. He reassures his son. He gently is rubbing his son on, on the arm, just soothing him. He pulls the covers up all the way to his chin and then he prays for him and just pronounces a blessing over him. And that picture right there, what that dad is doing, that day by day, moment by moment, is what our shepherd is doing for us. He's that sort of a dad. Or as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, it's this invitation from our good shepherd to, to come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's the invitation from the good shepherd in verse 2. He goes on. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Here's the second half of verse 2. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me beside still waters. Our shepherd does not drive us with a whip. Our shepherd does not bully us to get us where he wants us to go. No, our shepherd leads us from his gentle heart. That's the sort of leadership that our shepherd has. That word lead carries with it the idea of gentleness. And just to to help get a sense of that, that same Hebrew word translated lead in Psalm 23 is also in Psalm 40, verse 11. Now listen to this amazing verse out of Psalm 40, verse 11, describing the Lord's work in our life. Listen to how this verse describes the Lord. It says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. That's our God. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Isn't that an amazing picture of God? That that's the heart of God for you. This is what God is doing in your life and in my life. Uh, but that, that one Hebrew word translated lead in Psalm 23 is the same one Hebrew word translated in Isaiah chapter 40 as gently lead. Because it has inside of it this this idea of gentleness. And so let me just apply that for a moment. Some of us uh, right now, when we're thinking about our life, it just feels like we are wandering in the wilderness. And it's just an aimless wandering. We don't know where we are. We don't know what the purpose of our life is. We don't know where we're going. We, We don't know any of those things. But if you're a son or daughter of God, that is not true of you because God is gently leading you right now in your life. Doesn't matter where you are, what season of life you're in, how desperate your life feels, the Lord is leading you gently right now. The the good shepherd is leading you right now in this season. Maybe it's a season of singleness for you, and you would love to be married. Uh, For every one of us, it's a season of COVID-19. That's not a whole lot of fun, but but this is the Lord gently leading us to the still waters and to the green pastures that he wants to take us to. This is our God. He is a God who gently leads us as a shepherd. And then you get to verse 3. It says, he restores my soul. What, What a beautiful four words. He restores my soul. Now, if you carry the imagery of shepherd all the way through, it is not a flattering imagery for God's people. Amen? It's not a flattering imagery. So to illustrate that and to help bring that to light, imagine someone asking you, hey, would you choose an animal? Just You just get to pick out of all the animals in the animal kingdom, you choose an animal that would best represent you. What animal comes to mind? Now, if you're like me, it's uh, things like lions come to mind, things like tigers come to mind, things like Bears. I mean, you get, to hide, you get to sleep for like nine months out of the year. How amazing would that be, right? Those are the sort of animals that come to, to my mind. Th- th- those are my animals right there. But if God is the shepherd, here is what the Bible is saying about us. We are sheep. That's, that's the biblical imagery and the biblical metaphor. Now, I, I don't know a whole lot about you, but I can guarantee you that when you were picking the animal that would best represent you, you didn't pick a sheep. 
I, I know you didn't because sheep, are, it's not a flattering comparison. Sheep are not known for their wisdom. Sheep are not known for their steadiness and their steady heart. Sheep are not known for their strength. Conversely, sheep are known to be fearful. They naturally wander away from the shepherd and into trouble. And when they get into trouble, they are ill-equipped to get out of it, right? I mean, a sheep has no chance of freeing themselves from trouble. This is the analogy of, of uh, uh, this is a sheep. And this is the analogy. This is the metaphor. This is the, biblically, the biblical imagery that, that the Lord uses to describe us. This, this is what we are. We are sheep who sing to our shepherd, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. So what does God do for us when we wonder? When we find ourselves in trouble, what does he do for his wandering sheep? The answer comes in verse 3. He restores us. The Lord sees when his sheep have wandered. The Lord cares when that happens. The Lord comes after us in our wondering. And then when he finds us, he throws us over his shoulder and he carries us back home. And then when the Lord gets us home, he binds up the wounds from our wondering. He resets the bones that were broken by our rebellion. The Lord restores us. Can you imagine in your life where you would be apart from the restorative work of the Lord? Can you imagine where you would be? We wouldn't just be a sheep. Apart from the restorative work of the Lord, we would be a dead sheep somewhere, right? We would all be shipwrecked apart from the, the restoring work of the Lord. And this is our God. This is our good shepherd and his comprehensive care for us. So let me ask you, are you broken today? I mean, do you just feel deep down a sense of brokenness? As your shepherd, the Lord repairs brokenness. Are you hurting today? For every hurting heart, the Lord heals. Do you feel dirty because of sin and shame? The Lord is ready to wash you and make you clean. Do you feel the guilt of sin in your life? The Lord invites you yet again to enjoy his restorative forgiveness. This is our God. One way you can think about Psalm 23 is that it is an invitation for every worn out, exhausted, numb, tired, depleted person to come to the shepherd and to be refreshed and restored in him. That's the invitation of Psalm 23. And how many of us could use that right now? refreshment, restoration. That's God's invitation to you in this psalm. Then you get to verse three, the second part. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So part of God's comprehensive care for us is guidance. I mean, think about every day of our life. There are hundreds of forks in the road. And we as sheep are prone to take the wrong road, to take the road that we shouldn't take. And God, in his tender leadership of us, finds us on the wrong paths. And he grabs us and he leads us back to the right paths. 
to the safe path, to the secure path. This is our God, our good shepherd in his comprehensive care. He is attentive to us. He tenderly leads us. He protects us. He nourishes us. He guides us. He loves us. He calms us. He tends to us. This is God, our good shepherd. Now, when you read the first three verses, you might think something like this. Well, that sounds amazing, but the problem is, Rodney, is it just, it really doesn't sound like my life. So, so yes, it's amazing, but it just, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't sound like the life that I'm experiencing. I mean, there, there are a lot of words, Rodney, that you could use to describe my life, but green pastures and still waters, just, those aren't the words that'll do it. Now, now other words would, um, barren wilderness might, a brutal storm might, a dark valley. Now, now those are words and phrases that, that I can resonate with because they feel like my life. Uh, so yes, uh, verses one through three sound wonderful, but at the same time, for so many of us, they just seem out of reach. But, but here is one of the great truths that Psalm 23 teaches us, that green pastures and still waters can be enjoyed even in the darkest of valleys. That's part of what Psalm 23 shows us. That the green pastures and still waters, life with God can still be enjoyed even in the darkest of valleys. Now, I know that because of verse four. Uh, look at the first two words of verse four. Even though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, notice it's not, he doesn't say it's not, it's not before I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He, he doesn't say it's, after I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, no, he says, even though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, let, let's just receive that from the Lord. The care of God doesn't stop when we leave the green pastures and the still waters. The comprehensive, comprehensive care of God follows us all the way into the valley of the shadow of death. Aren't we grateful for that? The care of God follows us all the way down into the valley. You might think of the valley of the shadow of death as the valley of deep darkness. That's, that's the sense, the valley of deep darkness. You, you know those valleys? Where it feels like the darkness just won't lift? Where disappointments mount in your life? Where discouragement sets in and you just can't get free of it? Those seasons of your life, those dark valleys of your life where the, the, the sense of aloneness, that you are all alone in this world, just sort of permeates your life. Verse 4, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Listen to what David said. It's amazing. He says, I will fear no evil. Now, there's a lot of evil to fear in the valley of the shadow of death. There's a lot of bad things in the valley of darkness. But he says, I will fear no evil. Now, how in the world can David say that? The next line shows us, for you are with me. Your rod, that's a defensive weapon. Your, your rod and your staff, that, that's a tool to guide the, the, the sheep. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I mean, that's an amazing promise. Our shepherd who makes us lie down in green pastures stays with us in the darkest of valleys. He, he stays with us even in the deepest and darkest of valleys. Um, every parent has experienced their kid wrestling through a fear of the dark. Every parent's had that happen. But it's interesting as a parent to, to realize what is actually frightening your kid. 
And what's frightening your kid when they're saying, I'm afraid of the dark, isn't really the dark. What's frightening your child is being alone in the dark. That's what's so scary about being in the dark. Now, every parent knows that because every parent has had their child when they're two, three, four, five years old, knock on their door at like 2 a.m. You remember that knock? And you open the door and you say, what do you need? And your kid looks back and says, can I sleep with y'all tonight? Can, can I jump in y'all's bed with y'all? Now, now, what is he saying? He is saying that, or she is saying that it's not just the dark that is scary. It is being alone in the dark. And isn't it amazing when they snuggle up with you in your bed, how all of that fear subsides in their life? How all that fear is calmed? What makes the difference in the dark is the presence of a mom or dad. That's what makes the difference. Now, in the same way, what makes a difference in the valley of darkness for you and for me, for us, is the presence of God, our dad, our good shepherd. It makes all the difference in the darkness in your life to know that God is there. Now, church, I, I know that many of us right now, we find ourselves in a season of deep, deep darkness. And just let this psalm be a refreshing, refreshing reminder to you that no matter how dark the valley is, no one who belongs to the Lord is alone. You are not alone in the dark. Every sheep that God has walked into the valley, he has walked through the valley. Every single one. That the shepherd stays with us even in the dark, even when your heart's broken, even when the bottom has fallen out of your life, the good shepherd is there. And our good shepherd has never lost sheep. He's never lost one. That there's never been, a, never been a sheep that, is, that has gotten out from under his protective care. He's never, ever lost or left a sheep. Now, notice in this psalm how, in, ver, in particular verse 4, that David goes in verse 4 from talking about God to talking to God. He, he goes from referring to God in the third person with uh, the Lord or the shepherd or he to talking about or talking to God in the second person. In verse four, everything shifts, that the tense shifts and David looks up at God and says, for you, oh God, are with me. It's not teaching about God anymore. David now is talking to God. Now, that little shift in verse four says something about God's purposes for our pain. God uses the valley to open up a whole new way of seeing, a whole new way of knowing him, our good shepherd. Do you remember Job? In Job chapter 42, verse 5, at the end of just tremendous suffering and God meeting Job in that suffering, Job looks up to God and says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. Like, I knew all about you, God, but now my eyes see you. The way I know you now, coming through the valley of the shadow of death, the way I see you and know you now, it's, it would almost be like saying, I didn't know you before. God just completely opened up new parts of his heart to Job. And if you're in the valley of deep darkness today, God is with you. And he's inviting you, just like he did for Job. He is inviting you deeper into his vast heart he wants to open up new places in his heart for you to know and enjoy. 
Now that takes us to verse five where the imagery changes. We go from the good shepherd, it's verses one through four, to verse five, we get to the generous host. The generous host. So just follow me, we're almost done here. In verse five. In verse five, we become God's guest at God's house. At God's house. Look at verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We are in God's house, sitting at God's table. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. As our generous host, God sets a spread for us and he spares no expense. I mean, this, this, is, a, this is a beautiful feast. And this feast comes with a generous pour. He says, our cup, which is symbolic of our lives, he says, our cup overflows. And then he says, you anoint my head with oil. That's symbolic of God bestowing honor and blessing upon us. He says, our cup overflows. You anoint my head with oil. He's just saying here that God's comprehensive care for your life and my life, it never stops. It never comes to an end. Then you get to verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, in verse 6, commentators are quick to pick up and point out that that word follow is, it's a little bit of a misleading word. It's probably not the best word to describe uh, that, that Hebrew word. Because typically, when I think of the word follow, I think you're lagging behind at sort of a safe distance. When I think of following, I don't think I'm actually trying to catch up. I just think I'm just trying to generally stay with. That, that's kind of the word follow, the sense of it. Uh, but rather than the word follow, you can just replace that word with the word pursue. Pursue. Surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me. P pursue me all the days of my life. Now, to pursue means something a little different than to follow. To pursue is saying Okay, I see you over there, and now I am honed in on that person, and I am tracking them down. I'm not turning to the left. I'm not turning to the right. I am going after them. I have one ambition in my life, and that is to track that person down and to catch that person. That's pursuit. And that, my friend, is what goodness and mercy are doing to you every day of your life pursuing you. It's locked onto you. It's targeting you. It's tracking you down, pursuing you, running after you. Every morning when you open your eyes, the goodness and mercy of the Lord greet you. Every day as you walk with Jesus, the goodness and the mercy of the Lord is carrying you. Every night when you go to bed, the goodness and mercy of God is tucking you in. Even when you run from the Lord, even when you rebel against the Lord, even when you doubt the Lord, even when you are high maintenance and difficult like sheep tend to be, right? Even when you don't deserve it, the goodness and mercy of the Lord are relentlessly pursuing you. Now, your response to that might be, um, Rodney, I hear all of that. And I hear all of these beautiful promises, but, but I just, when I think about all those promises, my one response to that is, God's just going to have to prove that to me. But prove it, God. And to all of us that are looking at Psalm 23 and saying, God, you're just going to have to prove that those promises are actually true and trustworthy. God is looking back at us and saying, I already have proved it. 
I, I already have proved it. About a thousand years after this psalm, Jesus inserts himself into human history. And in John chapter 10, Jesus lets the world know who he is. And this is how he defines himself in John chapter 10, verse 11. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Jesus takes the most beloved psalm in the Bible and says, you know that shepherd who promises to comprehensively care for you, who's made all of these promises of goodness and mercy, tracking you down all the days of your life? I am that good shepherd. And then he goes on to say, yeah, yeah, I am the good shepherd. Let me, let me just tell you what the good shepherd's going to do. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus, our good shepherd, took the place of his sheep, being led to his slaughter. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7. To care for his sheep, Jesus was crushed in their place. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. Jesus, our good shepherd, gave everything of himself to provide everything for us. That, my friends, is the heart of our good shepherd. Amen? So will you pray there where you are? Just bow your head there. And I want to give you a moment to turn this psalm back into prayer to God. To, to yes, receive this psalm. and then to give this psalm. I want to give you a moment to allow the Spirit of God to press into you what would be most helpful, to wipe away the things that would not be helpful for you. this psalm is pressing the question upon us. Is the Lord your shepherd? Have you come under the protective care and provision of God? How does that happen? That happens when we turn from our sin and we throw our life upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It happens when we come before God and hold up our life to him and say, God, here I am, rescue me. I'm trusting in the life, death, and resurrection of your son to make me right with you. Is the Lord your shepherd? If not, right now in this moment, you can go from alone to with that shepherd, to apart from God, to up under his protective care. So, so if you're not there yet, this is your decisive moment where you can push your life across the line of faith and say yes to Jesus. So just in the best way you know how, offer your life to him. Ask Jesus to rescue you. And for the rest of us in the room, there is some area in your life right now where it counts. I don't know what that is for you, but, but there's some area right now where it, where it counts, where the tension is. 
And are you trusting the good shepherd right there where it counts? Are you trusting him? So, oh God, would you do this work in us? God, as we contemplate and ponder Psalm 23, God, will you freshly convince us of your comprehensive care for our life? Oh God, would you do that? Would you refresh us with your care? Would you restore us with your care? Would you lead us into green pastures and still waters? God, when you see fit to walk us into the valley of the shadow of death, oh God, we are gonna lean on you and trusting that you will be faithful to walk us through that valley. So, oh God, would you, the good shepherd, tend to us, your sheep, right now? Help us, oh God, help us. And it's in your good name that we ask it. Amen.